To episode 117 of the Sleeper in the Bus podcast. I'm Jason Collette, uh, recording on Sunday, May 11th. Happy Mother's Day to all of you uh, mothers that might be listening and to your fathers. Hopefully, you treated the mothers well. Uh, Nick Minix is joining me on Sunday night here. And off the bat, I want to apologize for not getting that that Friday episode uh, that we promised. I said Thursday I had a scheduling conflict that was going to keep me away for the day, and that one did. But then Friday had the same kind of thing, uh, you know, when I had a small window of time. And then some things here on my uh, home front messed that up, so we were not able to record Friday. So this is uh, the next show. We got a lot to talk about today. What's going on, Nick? Uh, not too much. I'm just I'm eager to help mothers and their fan with their fantasy teams today. That's that's what it's all about. Uh, and I, I do actually do know a couple of mothers who do play fantasy baseball, which I think is extremely cool. I wish more would, uh, but I do know a couple that uh, every now and then will send me a note asking me for help. And uh, I know, in fact, I do know a mother that plays Stratomatic, and, and I don't. Whoa. But yes, they do. <laughs> when her husband was sick in the hospital, uh, that's all he asked me. Yeah, honey, what do I? What can I bring? And he's like, bring the Stratomatic. I was like, yes. <laughs> that's why they're good <laughs> friends of mine. <laughs> that's hardcore right there. It really is. I don't, I don't mess with Stratomatic. I don't either, but they do, and it's like I was like, wow. Uh, it's it's pretty awesome. All right, let's get into it. Uh, same kind of format for those of you guys first uh, first time listening to the Sunday show. Talk about some rotation stuff, bullpen things, things going on in the lineup, who's on the way back from injury, and there's actually good news there. Uh, who's on their way out the door? Some bad news. Uh, actually, a lot of bad news. We can look at the names uh, this week, and then two uh, two topics of request, and then we're going to pick our favorite two start guy in the American League and the National League. Let's get started with. The uh, rotation juggling, and Hector Santiago is out the door for the Angels rotation, and Matt Shoemaker's coming in. Santiago, uh, tough to say you couldn't see this one coming when you're uh, have, when you're winless in seven starts and have six losses on your ledger with a 519 ERA and a 159 whip uh, and a 533 FIP. You're legitimately bad, and that's the case here. He had given up more hits than innings pitched had walked 18 and 34 and two-thirds, and allowed six home runs, so FIP is not even saving him. He's bad, he's out, and he's really the only one having the problems in that rotation. Jeff Weaver, uh, Jeff Weaver, Jared Weaver, did really well against Toronto today. Tyler Skaggs looked fantastic on Saturday against that lineup. They've been working well, C.J. Wilson, and then Santiago, he's not doing good, so they've brought up Matt Shoemaker. Shoemaker has pitched in three games for the White Sox. Uh, for the White Sox. I'm all over the place today. Man, it's been a long day. Uh, <laughs> for the Angels, uh, but he's only worked six innings of work, so, and most of that was in the bullpen. And if you look down in the minor leagues, he made five starts down there. And again, this is PCL, so the numbers are kind of crappy, but 34 hits and 25 and two-thirds. Gave up two home, it's only two home runs in 25 and two-thirds. Did have 26 strikeouts, so that's a good sign. So those PCL numbers are going to be like, yeah, because it's Salt Lake City and it's a launching pad there. But he's up. What are your thoughts on Shoemaker? Uh, well, I'm, I'm thinking primarily that maybe you were thinking Shoemaker – and uh, bec- uh, and that's he could fit on the White Sox, and that's his shoemaker White Sox. Never mind. All right. Uh, <laughs> I think 
Uh, really, I mean, this is like maybe a replacement level guy, and I'm really not that interested. Um, <laughs> I'd be, I'd be scared. To, I'd be scared to take him on even in an AL league. And and uh, we were going to talk about that. I think you know before we started things off, and apologize for not getting to it. But basically, I know, I do know just from skimming the news that the Angels basically kind of want this to be a situation where Santiago, quote unquote, clears his head, and then they move him back into rotation. Um, I mean, you know, that that's the kind of thing that could be a couple of weeks. It could be a month. It could be longer. It all depends. But um, Shoemaker may may have a say in that. But ultimately, it's, you know, to me, this the, the skills say he's probably not going to have much of a say in it in, uh, for, the, for, uh, for a very long time. Yeah, I will, so. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll qualify this in a little, a little bit, though, because you and I were talking about this off the air. I know when... When the Mariners signed Chris Young to a major league contract, I believe it was on this podcast where I said, "Oh, really? No, I want no part of it." And then I got really desperate in AL Tout Wars, and I was like, "I, I've got, I need a pitcher. I, I was just short. I needed something. I picked up Chris Young. Chris Young is now has three wins for my team with a two sixty three ERA and a one point zero six WHIP. I never yeah, in no. my life thought I'd get that out of Chris Young. But then, you know, especially the start on Saturday night." He goes up against Jordano Ventura. Ventura has the fastest average fastball velocity in the in the major leagues. Chris Young has the third lowest average fastball velocity in baseball. They finish the game with the same amount of strikeouts. That's why that's why baseball is a beautiful sport because things like that is are so unpredictable. This entire weekend, I mean, if I were to tell you that Jose Fernandez was going to go up against the Padres and get crushed, Chris Tillman would go up against the Astros and lose badly. Uh, Homer Bailey would face the hottest offense in baseball in Colorado and completely shut him down. It just this whole weekend was a, just a bunch of stuff where I looked on it and said, oh, man, look at these matchups. This is going to be great. And they all stunk. Yeah, I, I won't uh, – I won't – obviously, we know things are unpredictable. And he was – he was, if I recall, he was fantastic. And he made one start last season, and he was he was pretty good. Um, I mean, it's just it, – it looks like to me, it's the type of stuff that plays better, you know, as a swing man, long reliever. I mean, I don't, I don't know much about him other than uh, the numbers, and I think I've seen him pitch once. I mean, I wasn't. It's going to fall. Over. It's going to fall apart. I mean, let's put it this way: thirty-seven inning, thirty-seven and two-thirds of, of work, eighteen strikeouts, sixteen walks. So he's getting a lot of Babbitt fortune for his WHIP to only be one point zero six with sixteen walks. That tells you that right now he's an extreme fly ball pitcher. And yeah, well, that's the thing. as far as I tell you, as far as Young goes, I mean, obviously we expect a ton of correction here and things. Uh, I, I mean, I think Young is the type of pitcher. I mean, he's he's always been, uh, if I recall, I mean, he's kind of an extreme fly ball pitcher. That's not the worst thing to be in Seattle, um, especially when he's beaten Jason's dog or whatever that was. That was my greyhound stepping on my beagle in the back <laughs> behind me. <laughs> and I, I mean, I think, um, I mean, it's not surprising to me because all the reports coming. At, in the sense that all the reports coming in were saying, you know, this is the healthiest Young has been in the last few years. I mean, prior to this, it was always kind of like a hopeful case as far as his health. And this time it was actually, I mean, w- w- the health can turn south at any time. And the, the BABIP against him can turn south at any time, too. I mean, I don't think there's any question about that. At this point, the Seattle is, has to be still looking at him as... Wow, this we could not have asked for anything better from this band aid because Taiwan Walker and uh, James Paxson will be back within a month or so. Right, fingers crossed. I mean, 
obviously that has to be the way they're looking at it. I mean, if it and if it turns out that he's still pitching well when those two come back, um, I mean, what do you do? Uh, he he can't go to the bullpen. He's just to me. I mean, he's not a bullpen pitcher. I don't think he's ever pitched out of the bullpen. No, yeah, uh, he's not somebody that can go out in relief. It's 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 a strange situation. I mean, he's so slow to the plate. If he were to come into the bullpen, yeah. for what I recall, it's like it takes him a long time to get warmed up. He can't yeah. control the running game at all, uh, and it, that's really the issue there. But it's it's again, we have twenty four hits allowed, twenty four hits and sixteen walks, and thirty seven and two thirds, and uh, four home runs despite the high fly ball uh, tendency. So it's there. So getting back to Shoemaker, I'm not interested. I'm not that interested either. But if you're in a bind like I was a few weeks ago, make the jump. Uh, Dan Straley, somebody who has struggled himself, velocity has been, that's been, really been the big story with Dan Straley is the velocity was down, and the Oakland tried to let him pitch through it, uh, it didn't happen, uh, and they finally said, you have to go to the minors. After seven starts, a 493 ERA, a 561 FIP, the whip was 125, that was working for him, but nine home runs allowed in 38 in the third that was just killing him. And they said, okay, you're down. And Drew Pomeranz, a guy that got a lot of run during spring training, a lot of people were talking when you and I were out first pitch for him. In Arizona, people were talking about Drew Pomeranz back then. And now he's up for the A's. Where do you, what are your views on Pomeranz? I mean, I like him. I would take a chance on him in a deep mixed league. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be assessing and tout this week and then considering putting him in myself. Um, I mean, I've, I've, it's. I think it's. Uh, I mean, he's. He looks just as attractive, if not more attractive, than, uh, than say the experiment I just uh, considering ending on Edinson Volquez. <laughs> so <laughs> I, think, I mean, I think actually it's it's probably a more attractive one. Uh, he's always had consider considerably good control, I think, and for the most part, it hasn't always shown in the majors. But uh, obviously, that first start was pretty good. He's gonna only. He's only gonna get more stressed out, and yet, I mean. Um, I can't remember his tendencies. I don't know if he's a fly ball guy or, I mean, I, to me, I'd prefer to have a fly ball guy in a, in a place like Oakland. I mean, obviously it depends on what happens. I mean, then you, you run yourself in a situation where you can only stream him. But, um, I mean, I like, I've always kind of liked Pomeranz. Uh, I think that, uh, I, before the, the Cleveland regime kind of, uh, had an overhaul over there. I mean, I don't think they handled him the best. Uh, and then he ended up in Colorado. I mean, this guy has had a ton of talent. And uh, anytime you get out of a sit, I mean, he's gone from the worst situation to one of the best. So I think that uh, I think you have to be plenty interested. I mean, this could this could turn out to be a move that plays all for the rest of the season. And so that's why I think you have to be interested even in in mixed leagues, especially in deep ones. You if you get the jump and it's cheap, and if it doesn't work out, obviously you can always try something else. But uh, I mean, I would I would be wanting to experiment on this early rather than leaving it out there and see what happens for a start and then have a, a couple of starts and face a bidding war. Yeah, agreed with all of that. Let's shift all the way over to the other side of the coast with the Mets. They said a few days ago, and I don't know if I think this came out the day after Eno and I talked last talked on Tuesday, that Henry Mejia is on an innings limit. And he has about 120 innings this year. He's already pitched 35. And he is on an innings limit this year. Uh, and, and they do want to control that for him this year. And there was also some rumblings about possibly Rafael Montero coming up very soon. If not in the next couple of days, what what are your thoughts there? You know, I I know very little about Montero. I mean, I, I think just because of the, I mean, for, in the NL only league, I don't know if I don't know, for instance, if Montero's stashed in NL tout or anything like that. I haven't played in the NL only league in a couple of years, but I would say, I mean, he's a guy that should be on reserve if he's not uh, if he's available. Um, 
my he, my, I, I mean, just from the skills I've seen on his, uh, as far as his statistics go, I mean, he is a guy, I mean, he's wild and, and they've also been a little disappointed in the performance. I mean, his last several starts have been really bad after the first few were really good. Um, and, and I think the combination of those things and, and the fact that they're worried about the innings, I mean, he's already at like 50 some or close to, close, he's close to 50 some, I'm not sure, maybe like 40 some. I mean, he's, he's already like a third of the way there. So, um, I mean, I think that there's there's easily a possibility where even if it's not going to be this week, uh, you're talking in a month or two months, and this guy's, uh, I mean, he's going to be, he, Montero's going to get a crack, or somebody else is going to get a crack anyway. So, I mean, I'd be I'd be awfully interested to see what happens. Uh, yeah, with him, he's he's down the list. I mean, Noah Syndergaard is like the obviously the guy to own. Um, there in that situation, but Montero is more like a number three at his peak. That's kind of where his ceiling is um, there. Okay. So that's where his peak is. And there was some talk about him possibly being the guy that they traded to go get uh, to get for Arizona when they were talking about, okay, oh God, we need a catcher. Let's make a move. Let's get something done. That was one of the guys that they were looking at uh, that for them to get, and that didn't happen. But if Montero is going to come up, I think he is. He's absolutely an ad and only uh, in a fifteen team league. I'm iffy. In an 18-team league, absolutely mixed. Yeah, I definitely. I mean, uh, even when he's when he's promoted, whenever that is, and, and talent. I mean, that's totally a wait and see situation to me. Um, I think it's interesting. I mean, I think it's interesting that. Uh, I mean, to me, if the Mets, as as bad as they are at shortstop and the things that they have tried to do, as far like, I mean, if you're considering, if you're, if you as an organization are considering Mejia, for instance, more valuable than Montero, say, and I mean, I, I don't. I, I wouldn't see why you wouldn't want to just swap a Mejia for the shortstop and be done with it, as opposed to. I mean, like maybe it took that. I don't know if that's. I don't know if that's something that they in Arizona talked about. But Montero, like if Montero wasn't enough to get it done, and they wanted something that was more talented, I don't know. I, I think. I think the Mets. I think way more. I. I it's not that Mejia isn't talented, but it's like how many years in a row do you have to deal with uh, nagging injuries and things like that, and and the inconsistent control when he is healthy. It's like to me, even when when he does put it all together, he's not necessarily guaranteed to continue to put it, uh, to can it, to keep it together in the following season and the season after that. I would just rather get rid of him and get a guy that I know can fill a huge position of need for me. Yeah, I'm I'm just happy that they're thinking about the future and not uh, and not just saying let let's make a, a run for it right now. Um, so let's let's see where they go with that. But I'm just happy they're 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 doing something about the future here and not getting stuck. Uh, here, let's stick with the Mets. Um, and today is Mother's Day, and Kyle Farnsworth out of the closer role. Yay! Because Juris Familia, Juris Familia, uh, is now is moving to the closer role to become the team's closer. No, 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 not not yet, not yet. Oh, I'm it's, reading uh, a note here that says he is. Oh, no kidding. Yes, Twitter from Adam Adam Rubin at ESPN says, come back up. Terry Collins says Juris Familiar moving closer. Oh, moving closer to becoming closer, closer, <laughs> closer, closer. Ah, oh, that's crap. Yeah, that's... Either way, mm-hmm. he's moving closer. So he one made, of the right, million. Oh, the worst laws of the English language. <laughs> the worst, and of course, in over in my uh, my home league over the weekend. It's first come, first serve. And one of my league mates and I must have been reading the note at the same time because I put a claim in and then he put a claim in. We both, <laughs> they're both time stamped at 9.29 p.m. ET. 
<laughs> and I'm behind in the standings, so I'm going to get him. <laughs> Very nice. All right. So, yeah, that's the uh, – it is a uh, – we knew Kyle Farnsworth wasn't going to – I mean, I was watching that game last night. I was over at Tampa Bay in the press box, and we were watching that after the Rays game wrapped up. The, and uh, watching Kyle Farnsworth, we're like, oh, look. And he, I mean, to his credit, he was throwing a little harder. I mean, I saw 93 with life, life that I didn't see last year in Tampa Bay. But I saw the same results. Hard hit balls up the middle, blowing. Uh, it was he didn't blow the save, but he came in at a four four situation and couldn't hold it. Yeah, I think. I mean, obviously, it's a situation. I think we've talked about a couple in a couple of weeks in a row, and you know, it was an inevitable thing. And Familia was a guy we talked about as an eventual solution. I don't think this is surprising anybody. I think it is a little surprising that they would talk about him so soon, uh, in a sense, moving close to that role. But. Um, I mean, I certainly don't blame them. <laughs> you really, you really can't. Uh, I mean, anything, anything can go there. Even you know, Carlos Marmol was designated for assignment by the Marlins. Heath Bell was officially waived by the Rays. Those are yeah. options. I mean, if they're gonna if they're gonna try Valverde, they're gonna try Farnsworth, they're gonna try Dice K. I'm, I'm still I'm still thinking one of those two guys is gonna end up in New York this year. Uh, yeah, but who knows? Heath Bell could be signed for the minimum now, right? Oh yeah, the Rays are paying him five. They owe him four and a half million the rest of the year. So it, whatever, you could sign Heath Bell for whatever. If he yeah. if he wants to pitch, put him out there. Um, sticking with youth, Ander, Chase Anderson, uh, somebody that you know and I saw and you saw when we were first pitch uh, for him because he pitched in that futures game. This is a kid. If everything clicks for him, he's really a low three, a high four. Uh, can throw three pitches as a really nice changeup this year. They put him down. I, I I like what they did because in 2013, they put this kid in the PCL and got his brain smashed in. 88 innings, 107 hits allowed. That was an issue. Reno's a band box. This year, they had him pitching in the Southern League. So 26-year-old in double-A. So when you look at his numbers and see 39 innings, 22 hits allowed, 38 strikeouts, and six walks, that's what a 26-year-old with experience that has talent should do in double-A. But this kid, like he throws eighty nine tops ninety two, but the changeup's really, really good. Uh, Eno had uh, tweeted out some animations of it. I think there's some stuff at Not Graphs uh, or even in Rotographs, something about it. But Anderson's a kid I like. Passed definitely passed my eye test when I watched him pitch. Kind of reminded me, reminded me what I what we thought Kyle Gibson was supposed to be, uh, except this is a version of Kyle Gibson that throws strikes. And I liked him. Somebody I tried to target in drafts, I didn't get him because other people liked him more than I did and was able to get him. Uh, but what are your thoughts on Anderson? Yeah, I mean, uh, because he has a plus changeup, I mean, that's I'm kind of uh, partial to the changeup you know. being a, a, a fan of uh, the Phillies. And Rich Doobie was a fantastic uh, proponent of the changeup. And uh, it's, it's a shame that he's no longer there. But anyway... Um, uh, I think that I mean he's the type of pitcher also that could kind of play well in that rotation and uh, I mean I, I, I like it overall. I mean this is not a guy I'm necessarily looking at in in a mixed league, um, but I mean I might be a guy that in tout I throw a buck on or a, a one dollar bid on if it was like a good two term week or uh, just a good week to stream if I didn't like my matchups or anything like that. Um, Somebody I'd be willing to take a chance on is depth, but I mean NO only league is definitely this is definitely a guy I'd want to take a chance on because. At this point, Arizona needs somebody who can just who can just give them innings. But uh, if this guy turns out to be giving them some quality innings, um, I mean he's he's going to stick around for a while. We've seen them have a lot of success with a lot of young pitchers who were not 
a little more uh, highly touted, I guess, but they weren't necessarily top 50 prospects or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Chase Anderson can be that that same kind of pitcher, not the same kind of ceiling, but certainly can be a, at least above average. Agreed. It's somebody I would definitely, in a 10-team NL, yes. 12-team, absolutely. 15-team mixed. Yeah, if this is if he's sticking up, I'll take a shot on him at 15. I, I really like what I see from this kid. Uh, moving over to the bullpen, John Axford was ousted as the closer in Cleveland, and they are officially by committee. And when you look at this, it's pretty simple to see why Axford got the axe, for lack of a better word. Couldn't throw, <laughs> he couldn't throw strikes. You look at a 19% walk rate, and he's hurt them at the back end of games, and that's really been it. Uh, when you look at his, I'm looking at his numbers, his percentage of pitches thrown for strikes has dropped last year from 61% to 57 this year. The uh, but the thing is, when they do swing, they were missing at a very high rate. Last year, his swing and miss rate was 25%. This year, it was 30%. That's a nice size jump. So when he was actually able to throw strikes, he was getting the swing and miss stuff. But that you know, he's cost them a couple of games late. Uh, the command hasn't been there, and they finally said, you know what? After walking six guys in your last four outings, you got to go. And, and that's that's what's happened in the closer role. And they've taken him out of it for now. And today's game, Brian Shaw came in and got the save after Cody Allen set him up. And I don't think Axford's lost his job permanently. I, I just think it's one of these, same thing with Ernesto Freire. Let's give you some time, reset, try again. Because they didn't sign him for $4.5 million to pull the plug on him five weeks into the season. Yeah, totally agree with all that. And, uh, I mean, yeah, we everybody's kind of speculated that Cody Allen is the guy with the skills to eventually supplant Axford, yada, 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 yada. It's interesting that Shaw has gotten uh, a couple of save opportunities. I know Allen had a save the other night, um, but uh, Shaw, I mean, that's Shaw's second save, I think, in the past five or six days. Um, I, it's totally, I mean, it's it totally has the smell of a, sim, like a similar Freire situation. Uh, it's interesting to me. I think I want to say that Axford entered with a uh, the the outing that got him uh, demoted was uh, he entered with a four run lead. I don't think it was a, I don't think it was a save situation. It wasn't. And, and and the thing that's interesting to me about that is like especially these uh, veteran you know, these managers who have been around a while. Not to say that this is totally valid, but uh, they they always tend to give these guys a little bit more leeway when it's a non-safe situation with the uh, you know well as adrenaline wasn't up and things like that and and I mean it's interesting to me that they just kind of held it against them no matter what um, I, I don't know I, I it's it's kind of a strange situation I mean you have a you have a pitcher who's it's it's somewhat similar to Freire but not quite I mean Hatchford is just he has too many problems if it, if there wasn't such a role as closer he would just be another guy. And that's, I mean, he's a really, really dicey kind of pitcher. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, eventually he's going to get a shot at this. It's just that uh, it's interesting. I think it's interesting that they didn't give him a ton of leeway. And I think it makes me think that um, when he does get the job back, if he does screw it up, I mean, if he does have a couple of bad outings again, they might take it away from him pretty quickly because they have some other guys who are uh, really a lot better. Hey, let's compare it to – Grant Balfour, who's had the same kind of things. He hasn't been able to throw strikes. He came in in a non-safe situation on Saturday night. Single, walk, walk, had bases loaded. Then they gave up a sack fly and then got a double play to end the game. But he's had his problems, and there hasn't been a whimper of we're going to go by committee out of Joe Madden. They're just sticking with uh, sticking with Balfour. We're in this situation in, in Cleveland. Quick hook. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, we and we talked about Balfour. I think that. I mean, 
to some degree, and it's it's deserved. Um, but and you know, Madden has always tended to have like a really long leash with the guy that he's uh, he's pretty loyal to. So uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what. I mean, I, I'm not even sure how to compare them in the sense that. Uh, um, I mean, to me, Cleveland just has a couple of guys who are clear-cut better options uh, to, to, to put into any situation uh, which is high leverage uh, and ask them to get the outs. Because Axter, the thing about Axter when you watch a lot of his outings is when even he, he, you can see him have control problems, and that's where he really screws things up. And you can see him come in, and he's not having control problems, and he'll, he'll, get, he'll just get blasted. Like, he can also get hit. It's like... It's all. It could be one or the other. It could be both. I mean, and it's just it's rarely neither. I think, or it really has been for any length of time in the past three years. It seems like at this point. So, I, I just I don't have a lot of faith in Axford myself, <laughs> and I think that I mean I, I guess just it's it's a situation. I'm, I mean I'm glad I'm not invested. Uh, I was always a little skeptical, and I think that it just uh, obviously Tito doesn't seem to be too loyal to him. In the sense, to me, that to be to be taking him out of this role six weeks into the season. Yeah, and all and all accounts there. It's just it's just strange. I, I'm not cutting bait. I guess the note here is don't cut bait. Just like uh, you know, and I said with Freeri, don't oh, yeah, cut yeah. bait. Stick around here because this certainly just should hold up. Certainly would not cut him. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I do want to. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I have him. I have him in a couple leagues. You know, somebody that's not here in the list, but we know that Casey Jansen made it back today. Yeah, because they they ended up placing Sergio Santos on the disabled list with a forearm soreness, and you know it's good because Santos has looked like garbage uh, the last couple of outings, and they finally put him on the disabled list. But that's somebody. If I had Santos, I'm cutting bait because he's looked bad and now he's hurt. I'm willing to cut bait on him if I can't DL him, he's gone. You you yeah. agree? Yeah, I, I mean I don't see. Yeah, unless it's an ALE or an unlimited DL situation or something like that. Yeah, I don't see any need to hold on to that guy. The other thing, when you mentioned Phillies fan, completely unrelated, your thoughts on Cole Hamill storing 133 pitches today in his fourth outing off the disabled list? Makes me slightly nervous. I've always been, I mean, I've never been terribly nervous about Hamill's health um, in any situation, really, uh, because, I mean, he's always been. Scouts have kind of agreed across the board. We, I mean, we heard Kim, Kimball, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, we heard Kimball say this a bunch of, and pr- at first pitch. Uh, I mean, he's talked about him before. Like, they all say it. He's got f- fantastic mechanics, uh, some of the free, most free mechanics, free and easy. Everything about it is, uh, I mean, I'm not really concerned about, like, as far, but when you're talking about, like, uh, I mean, I think he pitched only seven innings. And I think, that, I mean, so there's clearly, there's been, there were at least a couple a couple of stressful, stressful innings in there. And that's the kind of thing that really makes me concerned, especially because, yeah, as you said, he's coming off as it's only a four start coming off the disabled list. And he really wasn't that sharp in the first uh, three. So um, I don't know. I just, I really don't see the, I really don't see any reason to have kept him out there for that long. I just, uh, I think, I mean, if they push him back a couple of days or something like that, I'd be a lot more encouraged. I know it's a similar, like, like, Darvish threw what 126 pitches in his near no hitter, right? And it was, I mean, over an extra inning and two thirds. Um, I mean, I could see, you know, I could see them, you know, maybe pushing him back a day or something like that. I don't, I, I'm a little more, I'm, a, I'm nervous about, I guess, about the Hamill situation in the end. I, I mean, it's probably a situation where I'm not, I, I don't think it's going to result in too much uh, of anything, but, um, I mean, I, I would be 
really worried about, for instance, throwing him in his next start uh, fantasy-wise. Same. Yeah, because, same. I mean, that's a high – I'd even say the same thing about Darvish. It's just – it's a high – it's a high. That's just a high total. And for me, with Hamels, his his previous outing was ninety eight from ninety eight to one thirty three. Thirty five more pitches. That's what a guy throws on his throw day. Two days removed from his two days removed from his next start, they throw thirty five pitches in the bullpen. So when you hear guys talking about their throw day, their bullpen session, it's thirty five pitches, and that's the amount he threw on there. So he basically threw a game. And oh yeah, by the way, we're going to do an extra throw day. I was just. For a guy that was on the disabled list for shoulder tendonitis, for him to throw that, it, it would not surprise me if he's back on the disabled list within a month. Yeah. It just, I thought yeah, it was I, poor handling. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I totally agree. And I think, I mean, that's, what's, I, <laughs> what, I mean, I, that's where it's like, it's kind of confounding to me. Like Ryan Sandberg is, I mean, I know that he's in his first, you know, season as a major league manager, but this, I mean, he's been around the block. A bunch before. I mean, he's been he's obviously been a player for X number of years, and I mean, it, it, baseball is not new to him, and, and think and, and all these things. I mean, he's a triple triple A manager for years. I, I think it's just it's really surprising that at some point nobody said, "Hey, this is probably not a good idea." That's where that's where Ruben Amaro Jr. has got to pick up the phone and call down to the dugout and say, "Get somebody in the bullpen." I mean, for especially it, when I mean, uh, uh, with all the drama leading up to last year's trade deadline, I mean, you just dumped, I mean, what a seven-year extension on this guy right. for 145. I mean, I don't remember the exact numbers. It was in that neighborhood, 145 million dollars, and then like four starts off the disabled list to be. I, I, yeah, it's just it's. It, it, I'm glad you brought this up because it is really. I mean, it's a really confounding situation. Yeah, it, for us, when I saw that pitch total today, I was out doing everything, and I listed down. I'm like, what? No, uh, lineup juggling. Wilmer Flores is in for Ruben Tejada. Uh, this again, no surprise. Ruben Tejada was flat out awful. There was no way to sugarcoat what he was doing. With Flores, you people are going to focus, look down, and say, "Oh my God, he was hitting 307 with a 500 slug and a 360 OVP." In Las Vegas. Everybody right. hits in Las Vegas. Last year, he had 55 extra base hits because he played in Las Vegas. He's shown True. some pop in the past. I mean, I'll give him credit. In 2012, he did hit he did hit 10 home runs in Florida State League, which is a legit tough place to hit. Had another 8 in double-A. So he, he's, he's, let's put, uh, he's better than Ruben Tejada. I'll give him that much. But... I, I just can't – this is where you got to look at the AAA numbers and say, let's chill out a second because let's not forget, Travis Darno tore up this ballpark. And look what Travis Darno is doing in the major leagues. Yeah, I, I think uh, this is actually a situation I wrote about and I, uh, for, for Roto Experts on Friday. To me, like, the thing about the, – the good thing about Flores is, like, the Mets have – I mean, they've, they've given Tejada a lot of built-in excuses uh, to use – I mean, I think at this point, and they're taking, they're clearly taking a huge defensive risk to play Flores at shortstop. So I think that as long as he does anything that resembles hit, uh, he'll be in there. I mean, he could probably be a butcher for a while unless he starts throwing to the outfield uh, on a grounder or something like that. Like, I mean, I, I think, I mean, unless, you know, unless he clearly defies logic or anything like that, I mean, I think that he's, he's probably going to get a decent shot. And, and that's the kind of thing where, like, in a 15-team mixed league, if I'm hurting for middle infield help, I mean, I, I you know, I, I throw a couple of bucks on him and pray. But I, I'm not 
I mean, it's not something where I'd be super excited or anything like that because, yeah, like you talked about the, the numbers and how they played at Las Vegas. Ruben Tejada might actually hit at Las Vegas. I mean, I think that uh, it, it's it's at least it's a situation to to have to have a little bit of interest in. But uh, I mean, don't look at him as a as a lineup saver. And, and I mean, the the cool thing about Flores is that uh, he should have he's probably got a third base eligibility, and then he'll earn the shortstop eligibility. So there's that. He could. Let's stick with middle infield and go to Toronto. Brett Laurie has been uh, nursing a sore hamstring. They haven't placed him on the disabled list, which is the good news. They think he's going to be back Tuesday. But he's going to start playing some second base against right-handed pitchers to free up third base for Juan Francisco. Juan Francisco, uh-huh. he was somebody that was cut by Milwaukee. They decided to go with Lyle Overbay and Mark Reynolds. Could you imagine if Juan, if they had kept Juan Francisco and had this Juan Francisco-Mark <laughs> Reynolds platoon going on right now? And, 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 yeah. and Juan Francisco hit for Milwaukee like he's hitting for Toronto? Yeah, I think... I mean, I still, to me, the decision will still kind of, and I understand that Francisco is terrible on defense, but I mean, actually, I honestly think, I honestly think Toronto might be better off if they play E5 uh, and let Francisco DH. That too. Well, here's the thing with Francisco. On the, the chat I did on Friday, is this sustainable? Is this sustainable? He's doing what he's always done. He's striking out a ton, hitting home runs. And then, oh, yeah, now he's drawing walks. And that's if he's got a 12% walk rate, something we haven't seen from him until in 2009 in a very, very small sample size. He was able to draw some walks. But this year he's drawing walks, so, and he's not even – he's a four-true outcome guy, a home run, a strikeout, a walk, or he's getting on – he's got a 360 on base average. He's hitting 270, uh, and 270 is something he hasn't hit. Last year when he got the extra playing time, he hit 227. The batting average on balls in play right now is 368. That is well above what he did last year at 314. But we know Rogers Center is a good place to hit. We've seen it turn guys uh, into good hitters. And if they can platoon him, this is this is great. If they can platoon him, and it seems like they're very willing to do this, only play him against righties and limit him against lefties, that'll be beautiful. Yeah, uh, and that, here the, the I guess the the caution I have with him is that obviously. Uh, I mean, we know he's bad on defense, and we know that he's he's going to be prone to a slump. If if he gets into a slump and it lasts, say, a week and a half, two weeks, I mean, he went like I think he went like three straight games, and he struck out like six straight times or something like that. So I mean, it could be just around the corner because I mean he's he's thoroughly unpredictable. But if if he's and, and the fielding is really bad, and they say they you know they juggle things, and maybe they do play Encarnacion in the field or something like that. I mean, this is a team that was willing to go Ryan Goins at second base simply because of his glove. They are conscious of the defense and how that matters and things like that. So, I mean, if he if he goes in the tank, I mean, he was a guy they picked up. Not to say that they're going to cut him loose or anything like that, but, um, I mean, because he's pretty much a guy that they realize that only can only play DH, uh, they might they might try to figure something else out. I mean, I right. think it would be caught the the lineup was not really a concern. Their offense, I mean, overall, I mean, he's he's strictly a bonus, but he's obviously contributing. And I think, I mean, it's understandable that they want to keep him around. He's got a good arm. He could pitch, right? <laughs> uh, he and he could take Jay Hat spot. Yeah, that too. Uh, <laughs> I mean, here's the thing with him: he is atrocious against lefties. They've given him 21 plate appearances this year against him. He struck out 11 times. That's And that's what's holding down his numbers. If you look at what he's done against right-handed pitching this year, yes, it's only 62 plate appearances. But he's hit 333 with a 452 on base and a 647 slugging percentage. 
He has a 448 batting average in balls in play because he's 17 of 51 with his hits, and he's got uh, seven extra base hits. It's just crazy. If they can, yes, he's prone to slump. I agree with everything you said, but if they keep him in a platoon situation and keep him away from lefties and just set him up for some, for some success and let him face righties, it's going to be a slow bleed. It's not going to be a gashing wound where he just falls apart. They can set him up for some success. He's still going to run into him. And if you got him, you picked him up cheap, and you just keep riding with it. The playing time, I'm a little worried about what's going to happen with his playing time, but they're clearly they're making some for him right now. And as you said, as bad as he is defensively, they're willing to let him do it. I, I, let's see how long that lasts once everybody in the league starts dropping bunts down the third base when he's over there uh, <laughs> and, and making him make those plays. But we will, uh, we'll see where it goes. Speaking of bad defenders, Dan Ugla uh, with Atlanta. This is over the last full calendar year, Dan Ugla is hitting 172 with a 292 on base average, a 322 slug. If he weren't making the money he was making, he would clearly be off this team. But – He's making the money he's making, and Atlanta doesn't isn't that willing to call it a sunken cost and, and call up Tommy Lastella, which is frustrating because we know Lastella can play defense. It's something that he's done that's uh, he can do better than Ugla because Ugla's just not a good defender. Lastella's got a 380 on base percentage down the minor leagues right now. He doesn't have power, but who cares? He's getting on base, something Ugla can't do. He can play defense, something Ugla can't do, but and he's cheap, something Ugla is not. And it's just that's the that's the thing. We are looking at sunken costs. How much money is this guy, you know, when you talk about, it's easy for us as fantasy guys to say cut him. But when you talk about what this guy's due in his contract, he's got another roughly $10 million this year and $13 million next year. You're just not going to let $23 million walk out, just drop him and pay him not to play for you. Right. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the hamstring right there. They actually, I mean, I think, uh, I want to say it was Mark Bowman, one of the Braves reporters. I don't want to attribute it, but uh, I mean, one of them at least said that uh, um, uh, they, they even given the impression that they were they had at least considered, uh, you know, calling that calling that uh, you know calling it a wash and saying all right, it's, it's time to move on. But I mean, they reconsidered it and they are just. I mean, what is it? They're moving. Uh, they're kind of uh, going between Ramiro Pena and um, I can't remember the other young fellow's name, uh, but. Uh, I mean, it's it's clearly. I mean, there are a couple of backup infielders who are kind of uh, uh, vying for a bat right now. And I mean, simply because they can field the position adequately. And uh, Payne is actually giving them occasionally some pretty decent stuff off the bench with the bat. But I mean, it's 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 an ugly situation, <laughs> an ugly situation for a team that obviously expects to contend for the division, is paying a lot of money, and and understandably i mean there's a lot of strikeouts in that lineup and and ugly is one of the big reasons for that but um i mean it's it's i i can't see them dumping him anytime soon i mean they got to continue to think that they they can salvage they want to salvage something from this i just don't know how you how you care i mean their offense is terrible it is only the padres are keeping the braves out of the basement is offensively and that is, I mean, despite Freddie Freeman, despite the numbers he's putting up, despite what Justin Upton has done this year so far, this is a terrible. Upton's hitting 202 with a 315 slug and has struck out 43 times. Ugla 184 with a 272 slug has struck out 31 times. The the duo has driven in 17 runs, which is one more than what Kevin what Evan Gaddis has driven in by himself. I mean, they aren't driving in runs because they just cannot get on base as a team. 
Team on base percentages, Andrelton Simmons, 291, Hayward, 302, Gaddis, 284, uh, BJ, 281, Uglet, 248, Domit, 244, Peña, 262. If you're wondering why your Braves aren't driving in runs, it's because none of them are getting on base except for Freeman and Justin Upton. Yeah, that's... I'm not even sure where to go with that other than it's an ugly situation. I mean, it's... uh, uh... Uh, I know that I was looking at. Uh, I mean, Ugly has seen a lot of a lot of two uh, two seam fastballs this year, but I mean that's that's kind of a pitch that's in vogue. I don't know if it's necessarily something that he has a weakness against. I mean, I just think he's he sucks. I think the time is the time has come or the game is passing by. Yeah, it really has. It, it, it's gone, and I don't think it's going to cut. That stuff does not is not going to come back unless he completely revamps the swing. And if he hasn't done it by now, he's not going to do it. Uh, yeah. Let's move on to guys on their way back. Uh, today, we got Chris Davis back. His rehab assignment lasted all of one game. And he was in the Orioles clubhouse this morning and in the first base spot. So he's back in, and we'll get to why he's back so quickly. Ryan Braun could be back this Tuesday from his oblique injury on the minimum for the minimum 15 days, but it's not a given. He may not come back. There is a bit of a rush to get him back because we'll get into that in a second as well. Devin Masarocco should be back this week. Last time I saw it, probably Wednesday. Uh, so if you're in a weekly lineup, I would activate him because uh, you'll at least get three or four games out of him. Because uh, as soon as he comes back, he'll probably just catch the rest of the week to give everybody else some time off. So he'll be back in the lineup. A.J. Ellis should be back this week as well. He's been out for quite some time with that knee injury that he suffered. Anibal Sanchez is returning this week from the finger blister, the one they, they called gross, gnarly. I forgot what the, the word that Brad Osmus used. But uh, Sanchez should come back in. And uh, Chris Sale, possibly. He's going to need two rehab starts. There's, there was some kind of thing that he may – it looks like he's going to come back. What I saw on him is he's going to come back during the series against the Yankees um, that begins on a week from Thursday. So don't put Chris Sale in your lineup this week. But next week he's he'll he'll be good for one start next week against the Yankees. Yeah, that sounds. I mean, all that sounds good. Uh, the one thing I did see on Braun was uh, that basically basically the determination would probably be made tomorrow because uh, as long as Braun felt good coming out of a hitting session, I mean that would basically be the determinant. Uh, if he feels good to go, then Tuesday it, it, it will almost certainly be. Um, and so far, so far, Braun has had not had any issues since he picked up any sort of activity. Nice. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely encouraging. That's definitely encouraging. We all know that these things, I mean, I'm always, I, I can't say that there are too many more injuries as far as a hitter is concerned that make me more nervous than, than the oblique, anything in the trunk. So, right. You can't rush back from those either, because that's the yeah. quickest way to, if you, if you're not a hundred percent with that and, and you do it, then you're right back to square one with that. Um, so it, it, don't get frustrated if he doesn't get activated Tuesday and maybe they keep him until Saturday. I'm fine with that. I'd rather him if I'd rather him sit out another week, not rush back, but I get where they're at because they're really struggling to put an active lineup together these days. Um, Hung Jin Ru, uh, is, he's been doing some bullpen, uh, and he's got another one Tuesday to see how things go. There's an outside chance that he could rejoin the Dodgers this coming weekend. Uh, Michael Pineda did come off the suspended list, but then went on the disabled list with a sore shoulder. He may not be back now until, uh, let's use the holidays, Father's Day. He may he might be back for a while, so he's going to be out. And then Matt Latos is still trying to work his way back into some form of health, uh, and he's dealing with a forearm issue. He's throwing a bullpen, uh, through a bullpen session over the weekend. No bad news out of that, but the uh, the other bad news is we still don't have an idea when he's coming back. 
Yeah, uh, I mean, that was just, ultimately, it was a, I think the bullpen session was today, and everything went well. It's just, it's the first time that he's actually been able to throw off, off a mound in, in, I don't know how long, but, uh, I mean, it's just, it was kind of like there's been no real news about him, and all of a sudden he threw a bullpen session today. It's extremely encouraging. They're thinking, you know, after a couple more or simulated game, whatever's going to go on next. I mean, he might not be too far from rehab assignment. So, I mean, I guess it's, it's feasible to think that he could be back by the end of the month, but uh, I mean, you know, between late May, or early June, you might actually finally get something for your uh, investment. Yes. Uh, so, guys, on the way out, I mentioned there's a lot here, and it's it's it sucks. Uh, Matt Winkert <laughs> is going to be out, uh, and it could be for a bit of time. He has they they figured out earlier this week that he was gonna not he was not a candidate for Tommy John surgery, that not an immediate candidate, but. He went on the disabled list this morning with the straight in the elbow, and they're not sure, exactly sure. Uh, he's, he could be out for another seven weeks. They're going to decide by July 1st if he needs to have Tommy John surgery because this right now, I know initially when he went to go see on Wednesday when he saw Dr. Andrews, they said right now he's not a candidate for the surgery. But right. what changed so quickly in 72 hours for them to change their mind and to say, you know what? Yep, you're going to go on to the DL. Yeah, you may be out for a while, and oh yeah, you still may have Tommy John surgery. Yeah, I don't. That's that's why I found I uh, found that interesting because I mean they've so far I mean, from what I understand uh, they've said that there's they still have the impression that they're they've been left the impression that he could still DH, mm-hmm. um, and they right now I mean they're going to reevaluate they're going to evaluate him in two to three weeks. See, see if there's been any improvement whatsoever. Basically, they want to know if he's going to get to a point where he can, if he's going to be able to throw without any issues, because they want him behind the plate. I, I don't. I mean, to me, I think if you're forced to be in a situation where, um, you know, maybe you're you're stuck with Weeders DHing. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think that's the thing is there's there's probably a lot, uh, quite a bit here that we don't entirely know. But it sounds like. Uh, basically, and the idea is uh, deciding whether to have the surgery because ultimately they, I mean, he's still a fixture behind the plate for them as far as they're concerned. And they, because they forecast, you know, roughly a nine month recovery time uh, that um, they, you know, they want to go ahead and have him have the surgery. So he'll be ready for next season. And and, uh, I mean, that's ultimately they're more concerned with the long term as far as him being behind the plate than they are uh, just with where they are for the rest of this season. Right. if he was available to DH and that's, I mean, that's ultimately all they care about. I mean, I, I can't say I blame them um, because I mean, obviously he's, he, he would matter a lot more as a, as a catcher than as a DH, but mm-hmm. it's, it, it clearly sucks for fans here. I mean, I think that this was, this was, a, I thought a good possibility coming in. This might be a breakout season for him in terms of his offensive production. So far it's been the case. Uh, be really disappointing, extremely bad timing. I mean, he's been, I think, I think, I mean, obviously you might expect a little bit of a comeback on the numbers, but I mean, this has been a real, real breakthrough for him. It really has been. And the unfortunate thing here, and I, honestly, I would, it wouldn't surprise me if they make a decision to go ahead and have the surgery sooner rather than later, because yeah. next year is his walk year. He's a free agent after the 2015 season. So if he waits too long to have it and he's not healthy enough to catch until the middle of next year, because you know, even if it, he can still squat the catch, but it's still a throwing, it's still a throwing thing. So if he's not ready to be a full time catcher next year, heading into his free agent year, you know, he, Scott Boris is obviously going to want his client to look as good as possible. So maybe they have him have the surgery early and just wax the year and call it a year. Maybe go sign Kedris Morales 
uh, as soon as the calendar because as soon as the draft happens because after the draft happens the compensation pick penalty goes away and Morales and Stephen Drew can sign so for me this may be a case where maybe they're talking to Morales because there was rumors they've been talking to him for a little bit over the last few months yeah talk you know, yeah, talk about now let as soon as as soon as they can do pay the man let Weeders go have his surgery yeah that uh, that's an excellent point I didn't think about that but that's a- an outstanding point is that they have the option to, I mean, uh, they had denied any, you know, having any conversations with Morales, you know, since the season had begun, but obviously situation has changed a lot in the last uh, week. And I think that, yeah, I mean, if, I mean, it makes sense for both parties if, uh, if, if they get to a point where in a couple, in a couple few weeks, if they think that there's been no improvement, not maybe not to go ahead and have them have the surgery. And because you're also talking about, I mean, this is a guy that just, uh, uh, within the past month or so, I mean, they still talked about you know possibilities of extension and stuff like that. I mean, it's it an extension with Weeders has been on the table as a possibility for the past year. So, I, I mean, I think that I, I ultimately, I think that they would prefer to to uh, to stay. You know, they would they would both prefer to see Weeders stay in Baltimore. But um, the sooner you get to to have him at full health and and evaluate the situation for for the future. Uh, the better as far as both parties are concerned. So I could easily say it makes it make perfect sense as far as what you're talking about about Morales. Yeah, uh, because he's going to get signed somewhere rather quickly as soon as the penalty goes away. No team's going to, if they've held out this long, they're not going to sign him in May to say, let's go for it now. Uh, Brandon Belt was hit in the thumb. It's the only thing that Paul Mahalam hit when he was pitching. It happened to be uh, Brandon Belt's thumb broke it out six weeks, having to put pins in there for him. So it sucks because he was, you know, he's, the power's been huge this year. He's been a little bit up and down, but he is uh, going to be out for a while. Aramis Ramirez was just showing some signs of coming out of a terrible slump. He was three for 41 at one point, showing some signs, pulled his hamstring, hit a home run in his first plate appearance on Saturday against CeCe Sabathia, then uh, pulled his hamstring running a ground ball out. So he's on the disabled list. He's going to be out. Adam LaRoche, uh, strain quad. He's been fighting it for a few weeks, but you'd never know it looking at his numbers because he was hitting very well. He's out for a few weeks now. CeCe Sabathia complained they did an MRI on his knee. It was negative as far as any damage, but he's got fluid in his knee, and he said that's what affected him yesterday in the, in the bad outing against Milwaukee. He's now on the disabled list, and it looks like Alfredo Aceves is going to assume his spot in the rotation, whereas Tyler Moore is going to take over for Adam LaRoche. And I don't know what they're going to do in Milwaukee at third base. Jeff Bianchi? Yeah, I mean, I guess it, it's uh, a series of possibilities. I, I don't know if they could, if they had the possibility of moving things around and they get weeks into the lineup, but they I, I remember reading a thing about uh, I guess there was a rumor that the club had approached weeks about the uh, about a possibility of interest in in playing some left field. He said and, no. He uh, said no. So, <laughs> I mean, that clearly doesn't like clearly doesn't show a great willingness. I guess to I mean. Who else? I mean, there could be other factors at play there, but it doesn't it doesn't look well or look good at least right now. And I don't know what they're going to do at least for the short term. I mean, that's obviously why they want to get Braun back in the lineup because it gives them a slight a bit more flexibility. But it's it's not a pretty situation. Bianchi is. I mean, he's. You know, obviously that's why he's a backup. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I guess Mark Reynolds can go over there and do some time, which means you have to overexpose Overbay at first base. And let him play against lefties. It's just, I can't believe Weeks said no. And then they had him in the lineup hitting third that he did well uh, for him. Michael Saunders <laughs> hyperextended his knee on, on a defensive play on Saturday night. He's still being listed as day-to-day last I saw. And that is yeah. that situation is there. Juan Uribe strained a hamstring, uh, has, 
been out for a couple days, but they still haven't put him on the disabled list. The same thing can be said for Coco Crisp, who's been dealing with neck soreness, and he's been out, I think, five games now, uh, and they haven't put yeah. him on the disabled list. Um, and that situation bears watching because it's Coco Crisp. I think the most serious injury news outside of the Weeders thing, uh, Martin Perez is going to is having an MRI on his elbow tomorrow. Uh, Will Carroll had tweeted out earlier that the source he had talked to said there was some serious concern about Perez's elbow. Maybe that would explain his last two starts where he pitched quite poorly. Uh, one of them was in Colorado, but he pitched very poorly against the, the Rangers the other night coming off that, that complete game shutout that he threw against Oakland, I believe it was. So he is on the disabled. He'll almost certainly be on the disabled list. It looks like uh, you know, Nick Tepish is going to make a start in his place, but things don't look good for Perez. And I, just a, another reminder: when you get an offer of a contract, that's why you sign a contract <laughs> because you know he made that that contract extension. He's got money in the bank. If he misses the next year, he still has money in the bank. At least if you're a pitcher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're Greg Polanco, you sh- you should still take it. But it's just uh, I, when people were like, "Wow, why did they sign that contract?" Well, for the player, I'd never turn that down. If a guy's gonna cut, if the team's gonna come off for me that money, I'm all over it. Uh, request time. We had somebody ask us uh, to talk about Mike Mustakis, and because I own this sack of crap in Tout Wars, I guess we have to. Uh, he is uh, he is probably the poster child of. This is why you ignore spring training numbers because Mike Moustakas hit the snot out of the ball in the Cactus League. And that's not why I drafted him at Tout Wars. It was just when I was looking at it, I said, need third base. I thought he was at a decent price. Let me take him. Mike Moustakas is currently hitting a buck 47. Uh, and it's not because he's striking out a lot because his strikeout rate's better than league average. In fact, his walk rate is slightly better than league average. He has a 141 batting average on balls in play. Uh, last I heard, I think he has one ground ball base hit this season. Uh, I think that's something I saw Jeff Zimmerman tweet out. And he has 10 extra base hits. He does have four home runs. He does have a triple uh, hit the other day, and he's got five doubles. But he only has 16 base hits and 109 plate appearances. Um, I'm only starting him. Uh, in fact, in Tout Wars, I have, I have uh, bids in to replace him. And I'll take guys with less playing time than him just to get him out of my lineup. Because it's an OBP league, and his 215 OBP is killing me too. Uh, even though he's got the walk rate, because he can't get the hits. Uh, where are you with Mustakas? Because this is a you know this is basically his fourth professional season uh, at the major league level. In 2011, he had 90 games played. He's at 149, 136 uh, the two seasons prior prior to this one. And he's the strikeout rate stable. The walk rate's rather stable, but this guy can't hit. Well, right now, I guess I'm going to go on the record as being a Mike Mustagas apologist because <laughs> I mean I'm not I'm not ready I'm still not ready to give up on him. I mean I saw a lot of positives again. I mean I talked about this already. Basically, the thing that made me most encouraged was that um, the swing just looked. I mean he looked a lot shorter of the ball, and I mean I think that he eliminated a lot of the issues with the swing and how long it was. I mean I think that. Maybe it's an issue with the with just. I mean, he's still not entirely comfortable with it. Like you said, he only has one ground ball base hit. He has four home runs, despite the fact that he has only what probably like seven hits. If he has four home runs, geez, uh, sixteen hits actually. But he has six uh, really, singles. Yeah. He has six singles, five doubles, yeah. a triple, and four homers. I mean, he's clearly. I mean, his, yes. So his ISO is uh, kind of. I mean, he's posting what would be an ISO on par with the 2012 break uh, yeah. kind of break. 
season. I mean, it's it's fantastic. He made he made uh, Mike Podhorzer's column of batted ball distance surgers. I mean, there's a lot still I think to like here, except for the fact that the numbers are terrible. <laughs> and I, I mean, I think I mean I I think that there's still some decent upside. They've always talked about the fact that well, more recently they've been more open about talking about it. That Mustagas has kind of been. He's always kind of been one of these really heady players. Um, he gets extremely down on himself. It's not easily. It's not. It's not hard to, dis, to for him to be discouraged about things. When you're hitting 150, it's not hard to be discouraged. <laughs> so I mean, I think that it may, maybe it's just a situation where maybe some time AAA would do him some good. But at the same time, I mean, I also really can't really can't make him feel that good about himself. So I I, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, I think that there's still there's still some reason to hope there. I mean, I was I was an Alex Gordon apologist for a long time. I still had a lot of a lot of hope and faith in him, mm-hmm. and, and it sort of turned out good. Except for this season has not been so great. But um, I mean, I'm I'm going to maintain the hope. If I if I'm in an A only league, I'm still reserving this guy and putting him on my minor league list or whatever I can do to stash him if possible. But I mean, any other any other type of format. I mean, clearly everybody else is pretty much going to be down on him. I wouldn't. I don't. I don't see a need to to stash this guy or anything like that because there's nobody that's really going to be a believer in him i would assume yeah i'm, I'm stat and tout worthy like i said he's going on my bench uh, and i've got bids in tonight on two guys that uh are not everyday players but i'm not i don't have a problem with that offensively i'm, I'm first in home runs runs and uh uh rbi so i, I don't need to have uh, that kind of player but that is that's the kind of thing that's going on if you're looking for his value this is where I think we talked about this last week. This is what I really love about some of these things. Uh, this has to be a Kansas City Homer League. Uh, Mike Moustakas today in a roto mixed league in CBS was traded straight up for Greg Holland. Straight up for Greg <laughs> Holland. Somebody else traded him straight up for Yonder Alonso. That is even value. Yonder Alonso for Mike Moustakas, arguably two of the biggest disappointments this year. That is an even trade. Yeah. But... Holland for Moustakas. What? <laughs> it's it's a it's a league where saves is in a category. <laughs> uh, even then, it's even then it's a lopsided trade. <laughs> even in a league, I mean that basically the only way that that would be a league is if there's like one pitching category and it's wins or something. It just I'm like. <laughs> This I mean I am on record as being one of you know the most uh, probably the most outspoken guy against trade vetoes in any league. But good God Almighty, that's horrible. Uh, <laughs> that's there. Jake Odorizzi was the other request, and Oder, this is something. If you go over to theprocessreport.net, it's something that I wrote up over the weekend. Odorizzi is uh, his, his, his struggles to turn a lineup over a second time are well documented. He has been. Flat out awful. As bad as Mustakas has been at the plate, that's how bad Odorizzi has been after he's flipped the lineup over. It's taken him. It's taken him at least forty pitches now in six consecutive starts to turn the lineup over. But his last time over against Cleveland, he uh, changed his process. Typically, it's been most teams will stack lefties against him because that's where you can get to him. And he goes heavy fastball changeup, and they jump all over the fastball. The the reason why is they tend to he tends to leave it out and up over the plate, and he doesn't pitch with uh, doesn't pitch inside. And um, the way I like to phrase it is batters are, are going out there and swinging with authority without worrying about impunity because he's not coming in. And Greg, Greg Holland's the guy that I, I cite uh, in the sto- in the story that I wrote because Greg Holland did an interview. 
believe it was somebody on fan, maybe it was David Lord, I believe it was from a Fangraphs interview, and he said, you know, a lot of guys want to pitch outside because they want to avoid the, the strong part of the bat. They want to uh, they want to do uh, part of the barrel of the bat and stay away from it. And when you go in, and he's like, but if you just stay out there, out there, out there, and you don't come in, it makes it easier for guys to, to zone up. And that's what I think was going on with Dota Rizzi. So in this last outing, he did pitch inside. And he also brought in this curveball and used it as his changeup. And typically he had been about 88% fastball changeup the second time through. This time he used this curveball. And the, the reason why there, it changes eye levels. And it also, there's a huge separation. 90 mile an hour fastball, 69 mile an hour curveball. 90, 69. If you go to the story, I, I show the velocity map. Uh, from from uh, Brooks Baseball, you can see the drop, and he was just showing up the 69, 90, 69, 91, and he was getting a lot of late and uncomfortable swings uh, on that to look at that and say, hey, look, this is what's happening here, and uh, to go from to go there, and that was it was just it was nice to see because he got a lot of swings and misses, and he struck out uh, six or seven of the 14 guys he faced, the final 14 guys, and he finally was able to turn a lineup over and get halfway into it a third time without getting his brains bashed in. I liked what I saw. His next matchup is against Seattle, who's terrible against right-handed pitchers. I like the matchup for him this time as well. But it's is he out of the weeds yet? No. I, I want to see him do this a few more times. Yeah, I was, I was interested. I mean, I wanted to talk about him primarily. I mean, I was like, what? I just wanted to know, where did that start come from? I mean, that's – and I was curious. I mean, I didn't look into it. I'm glad – I mean, obviously, you've highlighted pretty much every reason. I mean, it's it's fantastic to see. I mean, obviously, a big change in the process. It, then the the question is, is he going to continue to do it? Um, some guys are committed to it. Some guys are not. And, and it's – I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, he's, he's clearly not uh, – what is it? What was it? Was it five or six shutout innings? Whatever it was in 11 strikeouts. I mean, he's clearly not that good every time out, but he's not necessarily nearly as bad as what he's been in the first six or seven starts of the season prior to that. And he's certainly somewhere a lot, uh, a lot closer. I mean, he's he's certainly a decent pitcher. Um, it'd be interesting to see if he if if this is kind of a jumping off point at least. Yeah, and like I said, let's keep it. The other factor here is the umpire was a bit liberal with his strike zone. Uh, uh, you know. For against lefties, or again around the league, there is a well-known liberal uh, liberal bias for left-handed strike zone from umpires. They tend to give more off the plate than they do against uh, when righties are at the plate, and that was it was evident for Odorizzi's start. But it was it was equal for both guys. Now let's see what happens for an umpire who tends to squeeze a little bit because not all umpires are. I mean, guys like Laz Diaz will live way out there. Uh, you know, he's one of the worst at it. And Angel Hernandez is another guy that you can get away with that. But some other umpires are a little more, uh, a little more tighter with the strike zone. So we will, uh, it's something to keep an eye on for him, but I really like the matchup against Seattle. Uh, they are a very bad team against right-handed pitching. So it sets up well for him. Uh, but again, not out of the weeds. Uh, two-star guys, uh, American league, uh, looking at the list. I'll let you pick the American league first. Who do you like best in the two-star list? Nobody, nobody, uh, super jumps out at me as far, I mean, that I, I mean, I scanned it real quick and nobody really jumps out at me other than, um, I mean, I, it, the top of it looks pretty good. <laughs> uh, I, I was noticed, I mean, from where I got to, I, 
it was interesting to me that, I mean, R.A. Dickey was a, a high recommendation on, on a, one list I saw, and I'm not really sure why, since one of the stars is at Texas, and Texas is showing some signs of life here suddenly, so I'd be, I'd be pretty concerned about that myself. Um, but uh, um, the other one is, uh, I mean, I think if, if – Detroit's kind of been hit or miss lately, and and Ubaldo Jimenez has been pretty good in his last couple of starts. I'm not saying that uh, that we start to jump on the Ubaldo Jimenez train just yet, but last two starts, and I, I think for a number of reasons, I mean the control has been a lot better. Uh, I think that he could certainly uh, all he has to do is kind of tread water against Detroit, and uh, I mean the next matchup is uh, at Kansas City. I think that he could put in a, a pretty decent week. <sighs> to me, when looking around this list. It's tough. I mean, Rick Porcello, the, the matchup against Baltimore, yes, they have Chris Davis back. Then they lost Matt Wieters. The first time, the first game of the season, Porcello did really well against Baltimore. Uh, in fact, it was one of his second best start of the season. But they've been better of late against right-handed bats. It's, I'd like, I like. I don't love the matchup. I like that first matchup. But then he's got Boston, uh, and I'm not terribly scared of Boston's lineup these days, even though Pedroia hit and leadoff uh, has made it better. Uh James Shields with pitching at home against Colorado and at home against Baltimore. That that one I like a lot. Uh, I, that would be my guy. It's kind of you know kind of cheap to go with that. Uh, kind of saying like Felix Hernandez against Tampa Bay and against Minnesota. That's to be a really really nice week if you're a a Felix Hernandez owner because uh, he has had a, a, a fair amount of success against Tampa Bay, including the perfect game. Uh, and then Minnesota's offense uh, is showing its its weakness. Uh, when Chris Colabella was is turning into Brian Lahair, two thousand fourteen. <laughs> yeah, well, and I mean, I, I honestly, I mean, I still have a little faith that Colabella will. I mean, it's kind of like it's the reckoning period, but I think that he's still. I mean, he's still a serviceable hitter. It's going to be interesting to see as as uh, if if their lineup ever gets healthy and he does lose the playing time. I mean, he's he's still put up uh, an occasional solid game, but uh, I mean, it's, yeah, uh, it's it's pretty much true colors for Minnesota going right now. So. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, it's not really encouraging. Uh, you could always give the Matt Shoemaker two-star week a uh, shot. Yeah, to go over, th- this is the list of two-star <laughs> pitcher uh, this week. Dickey, Burley, Price, Felix, Chavez, Shields, Wilson, Porcello, Ramos, Corota, Danks, Salazar, Jimenez, Norris, Lewis, Nuno, Nolasco, Shoemaker, Peacock, uh, and Dubron. If Peacock it would be the one guy I wouldn't want to touch, Texas and the White Sox this week. Uh, that one, that that could be an ugly situation there for him. Uh, if you're yeah. thinking Danny Salazar at Toronto, no, 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 not at Toronto. And I don't care what what Skaggs and what and, and uh, Weaver did. I don't want to touch Salazar in Toronto. Uh, so those are yeah. those guys. Toronto is too uh, generally too patient in the lineup. They'd be probably willing to can easily wait him out uh, if he's has any kind of control problem. So, yeah, that that spells potential disaster. And Oakland later in the week would also make it a pretty tough. Yes, yeah, Oakland put a hurting on Gio Gonzalez today. Uh, in the National League, we've got several two-star guys. Uh, Wainwright, Zimmerman, Vogelsong, Wheeler, Estrada, Kohler, Heron, Leak, Harang, Lyons, Kashner, Mort, uh, Charlie Morton, uh, Bartolo Colon, Arietta, Wood, Colmenter, Lincecum, and Turner. Uh, off the bat, I really like the Dan Heron one. Because um, he's got Miami in Los Angeles. Miami is god-awful on the road. They cannot hit. They cannot make contact on the road. Uh, they, I believe they were swept by the Padres today. I believe the Padres ended up finishing yes. the game off. So that means they got swept by the Padres. 
And I want to see what the final at bat was in that game because if it happens, uh, it's going to affect the bit of news I want to read off on that. Because if he, uh, I know there was a, it was Street versus, uh, yes, uh, they only struck out nine times. So they've had six, 16 road games. They've struck out at least 10 times in 11 of the 16 road games in that. And this is a team at home. They have a better-than-league average contact rate when they play at Miami. When they play on the road, they have the worst contact league in all of baseball on the road. They have, I believe the Padres may be, I haven't seen the numbers updated, but I believe the Padres are only a point behind. Or uh, I think the Marlins are 29th on the list. They're hitting 207 on the road, and the Padres were hitting 206. And today the, uh, the Marlins eked out uh, 10 hits, no, 11 hits. So that may have bumped them up a little bit, but they were able to get 11 hits today. But this is not a good offense at home. I mean, on the road. This You look at the overall numbers like, wow, look what Salty's doing. Look what Stanton's doing. Look what McGee's doing. This team sucks on the road, and that's why I really like the Dan Heron matchup. If you're a daily guy tomorrow, uh, he's one of my highest-rated guys for tomorrow because of this. And then Arizona, it's hit and miss there. You know, Sometimes they could put a hurting on you, but I really like that Miami matchup this week. Good enough to say Dan Heron's my favorite two-start guy this week. Yeah, I uh, I like I like the picks, and um, that's kind of I was kind of going along the same beat uh, for I mean the guys I like are uh, Tyre Lyons is a guy we talked about a couple of weeks ago is a guy we w- would have been willing to take a shot on, and I think I mean lining up both starts at home one against the Cubs and then again against Atlanta, um, I think if I'm not mistaken, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm not sure how these teams necessarily fare against left-handers, but, uh, I'm not really Im- intimidated and Lions is he's held his own. I mean, he's certainly been a quality pitcher. Uh, I'm not real concerned about either of the matchups for them. And it's kind of a similar situation for Ryan Vogelsong has actually put up a couple of pretty good starts, uh, recently. And, and, uh, I mean, I think the overall numbers are still kind of intimidating, but, I think he's shown uh, flashed a little bit of signs of uh, his 2011-2012 form and uh, Atlanta at home and Miami at home, uh, both, again, both situations that are just really attractive, especially in terms of strikeouts. So, um, I mean, I, I think I think both both of those guys are available in tout wars and somebody I might I might look to kind of a uh, piggyback and try to try to sneak in like a zero bid or something like that just to try to ride one of these for the two turn week. The other thing, you know, I know it sounds risky, Lincecum. He has Atlanta again, and he had one of his best games against Atlanta last time we saw him, and then he's got Miami on the road, and we know the contact issue. I lamented lamented not starting – I lamented leaving Lincecum in my lineup this week uh, in my home league. I'm definitely keeping my lineup this week. Yeah, that looks like a a good couple of turns. I mean, he could – he could strike out twelve against Miami. He really could. <laughs> or, I mean, it's 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 or, there. It's there for him. I know he's I know he's had his struggles, but that's if if you're, I know Lincecum is really a spot starter at this point. If you have him in fantasy, and this is the spot to use him to start week with Atlanta and Miami. If it doesn't get any better than this for him, yeah, yeah, definitely, it really doesn't. All right, that wraps up the show for us. Any final thoughts for people? Um, you know. I just remembered uh, one thing I wanted to mention as far as Hector Santiago goes. I do know, I mean, he's given up 26 runs this season. Uh, six of them are unearned. I think they've commi- I mean, he's gotten terrible run support as well. I mean, you're talking about one of the, I mean, the Angels have one of the best offenses in the league thus far, at least in terms of run production. Um, 
So, I mean, it's it's kind of been, he's been in a lot of situations where it's like he's been under more uh, undue stress uh, than the rest of the pitchers in that rotation. And then I know I've, se- I've seen a couple of his starts, and it's kind of like one of those where the Angels committed a couple of errors, and then it was like he just kind of unraveled. And so I don't think, I, I mean, I think it's, I think the demotion is certainly. I mean, I, I won't. I won't say it's deserved. I mean, and they actually they said it wasn't. <clears throat> it wasn't a disciplinary uh, disciplinary issue or anything like that. I mean, they didn't view it as like something where he was totally disappointed to them. But they think that kind of a change of scenery in a sense, moving from one role to the other. I mean, it does sound like a temporary situation to me. And I think that the the type of skills that that Santiago has, I mean, this could be a situation kind of like Frieri was in the closers role where if he comes back, I mean, I still I still view Santiago as a guy who could be really valuable even in in mixed leagues this year because of the strikeouts. And and, uh, if if enough things change about the, the, the circumstances the next time he comes back, I mean, I think that he could. He could be really good for the rest of the season because of the strikeouts. If he limits the walks just a little bit more, and if he just gets a lot, a little bit better fortune and defense behind him, I think it, I mean he's, he still has a lot of potential to be a valuable, valuable performer. Yeah, I liked him. I would like to find a spot for him in a, in a deeper AL league to find a spot to see if, if something happens for him once he clears his head. Because I did like him coming into the season. I'm not going to say, oh, this guy stinks, but the results stink right now, and and that's what that's the bottom line right now. Is teams are, are getting to that point where they're like. I can't live with this. You, you need to go to the minors. You need to go to the bullpen. You need to get something, work something out because your current process is not working for you. And I think you know, looking at some of the numbers, you know, it was nice that Odorizzi had this change of success because he was getting to that point. He's a guy that has options and he was terrible. And even as as, as uh, thin as the Rays pitching staff is right now, I, that may have been a case, you know, Chris Archer is not pitching well for them. Uh, it's, you know, he did yeah. it again today. He's really struggling with his fastball command that's going to be an issue for him where that's uh, that's been problematic for him. The Rays only have 12 quality starts as a team this season. Eric Bedard has the last two. That that kind of puts the Rays in perspective he's, right now. He's been, he's been pretty effective. He has uh, been. The last three starts, I think. Even I mean, it wasn't a quality start, but I think that that was when the tide turned. I mean, he's been really good for them. He has been. I mean, I was at his, uh, the game. I took my mom to it a couple of weeks ago, and he, he threw 65 pitches in the first two innings. It was god-awful. But he went to Boston, won, went to New York, won, and then uh, got the win last night against Cleveland. And, again, he has the last two quality starts for the Rays, and, and that kind of sums up how that season's going for them. Uh, so that's it. Thanks for listening to us. Uh, we'll be back on uh, – Eno and I will be back on Tuesday to discuss anything that happens. It's a light day of baseball Monday. I think we only have 12 games not, – not 12 games, 12 teams playing. I think there's only six or seven games. A lot of guys are traveling. Uh, so there's it's a rather light schedule, so there may not be too much to talk about. But if there are some players or some topics you'd like us to discuss, just drop a comment to the uh, to this podcast uh, that I'll be posting here and uh, let us know. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.